the blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the Blast from Our Past podcast, where the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and a whole lot more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm Adam. I'm John. And we are taking things back in time. Well, it's not back to the future. We're taking things <laughs> back to the 60s. Way back. It's a 60s-filled episode of all black and white. Uh, we are going to be talking the 1962 film To Kill a Mockingbird, the uh, early to mid-60s show Mr. Ed, and then we're going to do our best at recasting To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, kind of, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they've kind of done like a TV made for TV movie of To Kill a Mockingbird every now and then or something like that. But, I don't think yeah. so. So I, I, I looked up like what other iterations. So the the only ones I could find were other than this film. I mean, it was made into a play. And I know this because I was in the play. <laughs> yes, you we'll were. You about, played Jim. Well, I played Jim um, when I was in eighth grade. And it kind of, and honestly, my only professional acting thing, because I did get paid for it. I think it was like I, 50 bucks for the whole I thing. I didn't know you was, got paid for that. Yeah. I, it wasn't a lot, obviously. But uh, it was it was a big production. And honestly, I had an absolute blast doing it. And I'll talk more about it as we go okay. through. Sure. Uh, but... It recently, and by recently, I mean like within the last six or seven years, had a Broadway run. And that Broadway run was uh, written, um, or I guess adapted, since it was a Harper Lee's book, was adapted by Aaron Sorkin. Oh, he does musical stuff? Well, I guess you know something. It's not a musical. Oh, oh, okay. So it's a Broadway play. It's a Broadway play. Okay, okay. I could see that. Sorkin adapted it, and there have been... A few uh, iterations, and I think now it's actually touring right now. Okay. But those were the two big ones. So there was the movie, and then there was the Broadway run that started, I think, in like 2016 or something like that. And I'll talk about that one, actually, when we do our casting, because some really big people played the title, or the, not the title cut, but the, the main role of Atticus. Oh, okay. Um, and I was trying really hard not to let that influence my choice oh, in okay. who I was going to cast for Atticus. Gotcha. Well, we'll see. See if I cast uh, that person without even knowing it. So, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. I mean, not to say that that movie is untouchable, um, be- right. but it is. It's an all-time classic, and so Absolutely. I think it's ha- hard for people to 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 want to remake it. Even. Yeah, I agree. So, but we're gonna do our damnedest. Um, so, <laughs> before we get things going, John, take our minds way back to sixty-one years ago uh, to nineteen sixty-two. So the film was released on March 16th, 1962. The Billboard Top 100 single of that week uh, is a song that if you spent any time at a high school football game uh, and anywhere near the marching band, you probably heard. That was the song Hey Baby by Bruce Channel. Hey, hey, baby. baby. Uh-huh. Yeah, I want to know. know. Would you be my girl? Yep. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, it's a good one. Yep. Uh, I played that so much uh, in high school uh, in the marching band. <laughs> it was one of our go-to ones as a pop song. Uh, topping the Nielsen ratings as best as I could find. No, no, actually, I found it for that week. Uh, was a classic Western called Wagon Train. 
Okay. I don't and know it all that well. It's a song. It's a song. It's a show I've heard of, but I've never ever seen uh, an episode. Uh, and fun fact: I have a video game fact for 1962 because one month after Ooh. this film came out was the release of one of the first publicly question mark available video games. It was developed at MIT. It was called Space War. And if you've listened to Throwback Trivia Takedown at all, I've actually used this game in a question like twice now. Because, <laughs> yeah, 60s video games, not very much. So. Yeah, not much. Okay, cool. Topping the New York Times bestseller list is a book I've never heard of by an author I've definitely heard of. Uh, it was the book was called Franny and Zooey. It was like a it was two short stories or like Mom and Zoe. J.D. Salinger by J.D. Salinger. Yes. So I only know that because Mom had that book. Ah, okay. So I've seen. I literally I remember seeing it on our bookshelf. I've I never read it or anything like that, and I don't. Right. I'm, I assume Mom read it, but that's that's how I do know that one. Okay. Yep. Uh, and uh, <laughs> here's my fun fact for 1962. Do you remember before 1962 when you could not get goldfish crackers at, at your local store? Pepperidge Farm remembers. <laughs> nice, John. <laughs> so, 1962, this is when Goldfish Crackers okay. came out. Yeah, the snack that smiles back. I, I tell you what, uh, it is the any parent will know Goldfish can be a lifesaver. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a great snack for kids. As I've gotten older, I've realized like the original flavors, they're just bland to me. But perfect right. for kids, because kids like, you know, good with bland flavors. Yeah. There's like a hint of cheese. Even like the regular Cheez Its are just not enough cheese flavor. But they come out with like the cheddar jack version or like the extra cheese Extreme version of those. Or the, or whatever. the yeah. blasted or whatever. Yep. Those are the ones I love. Yeah, those are the ones I get. And you know what? Goldfish is one of those things that I often forget how addictive they are. And I'm like, mm. oh no, I don't really go to And then I get then when I try one, I'm like, oh, now I want a ton of goldfish. <laughs> yes. And that was 1962. All right. Well, very nice. Okay, guys, uh, we are going to take things way back, and let's talk to Kill a Mockingbird. Kill a Mockingbird, 1962. It's based on a novel by Harper Lee that came out in 1960. Uh, so that book was obviously an instant success. And, you know, they did a quick turnaround and made it this film. Mm-hmm. Um, but the book also won a Pulitzer Prize and has stayed an instant, uh, stayed a ma- massive literary classic. I think most people have read it, at least, you know, if you're in, in the American school system. Like, it's part of a lot of different... Um, you know, different curriculum. I think I'm pretty sure I read it for school at one point or I just read it for fun for sure. John. Yeah. You, so let's talk about you. I mean, cause okay. I read the book, you know, you probably read the book. You've definitely, you're talking about the play. So tell us a bit about your experiences um, with to till a mockingbird outside of the film. First, I cannot remember if I read the book before I saw the movie mm-hmm. and I, pretty sure i'd seen the movie before i did the play okay um so i I honestly i cannot remember what the order was it was so long ago but i'll just kind of go through this story really quick i had done a little bit of of acting mom had put me in in some plays which i don't think she did with you or abby no not at all i I could i could see myself i honestly when i think back in in time i'm like you know i think i would have enjoyed doing some drama classes i think you would have absolutely as well which i I thought it was weird that i was the only one who ended up doing them now we kind of stopped doing that like when i went to middle school 
at that point she stopped putting me in plays and if I wanted to do them myself I had to audition mm-hmm. and I don't remember oh I remember okay so in eighth grade in middle school um, I did an after school program that was a drama class mm-hmm. uh, it was like you know you stay after school this lady came in who was not a regular teacher and we did some acting scenes and stuff like that and so I was doing that and anytime there was an, a local audition she would tell us about it and nine times out of ten, I was like, well, I'm not going to do it. Well, then, and I must have I must have at least seen the movie beforehand because she said it was going to do To Kill a Mockingbird. And I was like, oh, I've seen that. Mm-hmm. Which is weird to say for an eighth grader. Like, oh, I'd seen it, and I believe I liked it. Mm-hmm. So I'd seen it at least once or twice enough to know that I liked the movie. But you know what? Mom was really, really good about kind of showing us some, like, every so often. She kind of, I, I think Mom was very crude in a good way about, or shrewd, I guess is the word, we're not crude, shrewd about understanding what we liked and kind of like throwing us things that would send us down a a deeper Mm -hmm. path. Like with music, she always had music that we ended up loving and and going to, you know, deep diving into. And she at least, with me, I know that she did that with movies because mom was the whole reason I got to see Pulp Fiction at mm. 16 um <laughs> she rented it and let me watch it after mm. you and abby had gone to bed sure and so and you know and i with her i saw several classic movies i remember um oh what was that one with robert mitchum they remade it in the 90s with robert de niro um, oh cape fear cape fear that, yeah. So i saw yeah, i saw the original cape fear before i saw yeah. the the remake and just you know other movies like that like hoosiers mom was the one who introduced me to the movie hoosiers Mm-hmm. So, having seen To Kill a Mockingbird, I was like, oh, that'd be fun. So, I asked her, and she said, yeah. And so, and I remember when we did the audition, Adam, you also auditioned. Oh, I don't remember that at all. Yeah, because, and you you made the decision, like, the second we walked in. <laughs> like, I think you were like, you saw that I was doing, you are like, uh-huh. I wanted to do it. So, you auditioned as well. So, uh, I made it. I made it past the first audition, and then I went and did the second one. And I remember them telling me that I made an impression on them because I was the only one who, once they handed me the sides, um, I tried to memorize it so that I could actually like act with the person as opposed to just standing there and read it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I eventually got the part. And we actually, because it was a big thing, it was like two months of, of it was like a month of rehearsals and then two months of actually production of, of performing the play every weekend for two months. Like twice, like once oh, on wow. Friday, once on Saturday, and I think once on Sunday too. There were actually two of us, so there were two gems. I remember that two scouts, uh, two dills, and and we all like traded out. So like, mm-hmm. you know, if, if we could do one weekend or another, it's like that. And then we had we had some. I actually got out of school for it um, because every so often we would do these plays or these productions for schools who would come in and watch. Um, so I would get out of school for like a Monday or something like that because I had to go do the play. All right. I'd at least be late. I think mom would pick me up and make me go to the school the rest of the day. But so it honestly, it was one of the best experiences of my life. I really enjoyed it. And actually, uh, because of that schools coming in to see it, I actually reconnected with a friend I hadn't seen in like six years because of it. Someone I went to elementary school with in coming, mm-hmm. uh, that I hadn't seen and her school came to see the play. So it was it was kind of wild. That is fun. Um, um I was going somewhere with that, and I'm trying to remember. Um, uh, but anyway, uh, that whole experience was so much fun, and it just 
endeared me so much to uh, the story and everything. I met so many cool people who, you know, as a as an eighth grader, you know, you never. And I'm I met the, one of my I guess best friends or best acquaintances was the guy whose day job was being the Red Baron. Uh, for the Red Baron Pizza Company, That's what I thought he, he okay. would dr- he would dress up as the Red Baron and go to promotions and stuff like that. Okay, that was it because he was an actor. He was a, yeah, his, yeah. He was in so, um, and I I you know during the plays I became relatively close. There was one girl. <laughs> there was one girl who played Scout. I'm gonna try really not to rant here. Uh, there was one girl who played Scout who I really liked, and one girl who played Scout who I did not like at all. Um, so. Uh, but the one who I did kind of connect with, we ended up both at UGA at the same time, and I would just call, I just called her Scout. That mm-hmm. was just whenever I saw her, I would call her Scout, mm-hmm. and so that just kind of became our our thing. She's kind of like she she's one of those people who like will go on and off social media for like gotcha. ten years at a time. <laughs> so so she kind of disappears every so often, but every so often she'll pop back up and I'll say hi to her and stuff like that. But nice. um, it was. It was honestly a lot of fun. I love that you have a very deep connection uh, to this movie and to obviously the book and the play in general. Um, the way you put it, you can't really remember where you, if you read or saw the movie first. I'm mm. very certain I saw the movie first because if you had seen it, then I probably watched it with you when I was right. younger. It's just one of those movies that has always been around. Like you know, it's just something that I always was like. Well, yeah, as, as soon as I was a kid, I feel like I, this one, this one's been there. Yeah. So. All right, so this movie was directed by Robert Mulligan. Uh, he has done some Rock Hudson and Tony Curtis films, but other than that, nothing else I really knew. Uh, music was by Elmer Bernstein, who we have talked about before. Uh, Elmer has done a bunch of awesome films like The Ten Commandments, Magnificent Seven, The Greatest Escape, uh, the classic John Wayne True Grit, but also did some awesome comedies like Animal House, Airplane, Stripes, Trading Places, Ghostbusters, and Oscar. So, Elmer Bernstein is a fantastic composer. Mm. Let's talk about the cast of this movie. Atticus Finch was played impeccably by Gregory Peck. Uh, You might also know him. This is his, I think, you know, main role when people think Gregory Peck, Atticus Finch is like the next thing. But also, he was in Roman Holiday. He was also in Cape Fear Mm -hmm. um, back in the 60s and a bunch of stuff. Gregory Peck's fantastic. And I will mention he won the Academy Award for Best Actor in a Leading Role uh, for his portrayal of Atticus Finch as well. He should have. Yep. Uh, Scout um, was played by Mary Badham. Uh, she only had a few credits. Jem was played by Philip Alford. He only really had a few credits. Dill Harris was ch- played by John Megna. Uh, he did some things like Cannonball Run, Smokey and the Bandit 2 and a few others. So a couple more things for him. Calpurnia is played by Estelle Evans and she only had a few other things. Uh, Boo Radley, was played by Robert Duvall. Yeah. That's one of my favorite trivia facts to throw in. It is. It is. It's a great trivia fact because it's kind of hard to remember that. And honestly, you see him in the movie and it's like, is that is that you? Yeah. <laughs> is that, I mean, yeah. it's really kind of hard to tell because we all know like the bald, older Robert Duvall from right. Apocalypse Now, from Falling Down. He was in Godfather back right. in the day. Uh, tons of amazing stuff. He's a... He's a Top tier A list amazing actor. Yeah. And then you think like he got a very early role as Boo Radley, which is great. 
Tom Robinson, um, I think also a wonderful performance mm-hmm. uh, by Brock Peters. Uh, he's been in Ghosts of Mississippi. Uh, we talked about him actually um, in SWAT Cats. He played uh, Dark Cat, one of the villains. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's done a lot of voice acting stuff. He did a, a character. He did Lucius Fox in Batman the Animated Series. Um, they did a radio drama of Star Wars, and he voiced Darth Vader for that. So he's okay. had a pretty darn good voice career. Uh, and and spent a lot of time in Star Trek, actually. Yeah, I noticed that as well. Yeah, he's, he's yeah. done. Uh, he he did several of the, the original cast movies, but I remember him best as playing Commander Sisko's father in Deep Space Nine. So uh, Avery Brooks, who was the kind of the main captain of that one, okay. he played his father. Okay. In several cool. several episodes. So uh, Bob Ewell was played by James Anderson. Um, he was in Gunsmoke, Rawhide. You know as multiple parts and other things like that. So he's been plenty of stuff. And Mayella Yule was played by Colin Wilcox Paxton. She was in Jaws 2. She was in actually quite a bit of things, but hmm. not too much that I recognized. So, no, she got she got work, so that's Yeah. Uh the movie had a budget of 2 million dollars and a box office of 13 million. So it's nice. a good investment at that time for sure. And obviously as we talked about has become an all-time classic. Um feel like it's a movie that not just any film student has seen, almost anyone has seen, I feel. Like, it's just, it's it's a movie that darn near yeah. everybody should should watch. Yeah, anyone who is, has any interest in film at all should see this film. Or the study of, the study of acting, that kind yeah. of stuff. It's, it's a, it's a clinic, honestly. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, in, I want to mention in 2003, the American Film Institute named Atticus Finch the greatest movie of, movie hero of the 20th century. Wow. Uh, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. In 2007, the film ranked 25th in the AFI's uh, greatest American movies of all time. And uh, it won three Academy Awards. So I already mentioned Best Actor, but also Best Screenplay or Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Art Direction. So. Cool. And before we get started, the only other thing I kind of want to mention was this is one of those movies for me that I would say probably every four or five years I get the itch to watch. Mm. For some reason, there's two black and white movies that, well, maybe three. I, I'll throw in the Defiant Ones or Citizen Kane. I love those two. But, like, I guess the two, when it comes to, like, when I just want to watch really good acting, mm-hmm. I will throw on this movie or I'll throw on 12 Angry Men. That um, 12 Angry Men is also go-to for me. I love that film. Yep. And so it's just one of those, like, every every four or five years, I get I get the scratch and I need to scratch it. And I'm just like, I, I need to put on one of these great classics. So. Um, so it's one that's kind of stayed somewhat in my repertoire. All right. Let's get going in our scene by scene breakdown. And we start off uh, with opening credits as uh, someone is going through a box of different things and they're drawing. Uh, we get narration from Scout reflecting on Makeham, Alabama, and uh, the story that is about to occur. Um, we see a client of Atticus drops off some food as payments for his services, you know, just showing that it's kind of a poor town. Mm-hmm. Um, and also that Atticus is a nice person because he's not trying to he's you know, he's a local lawyer mm-hmm. and he allows people to pay him as they can. And if a farmer can only pay with some of his crops, then he's more than happy to accept that. So uh, we see Jim up in a tree and he won't come down because Atticus until Atticus agrees to play football for the Methodists. <laughs> You got it. Why gotta, the Methodists? I don't know. And I guess who were they playing? Were they playing the Baptists or were they, you know, the the Presbyterians? I want to know what is this <laughs> small town football church rivalry? That must have been. That must have been like a, a, I don't know, like a college team or a sure a local 
like semi pro or like but like local like regional not local like in that town obviously. Oh, uh-huh. So, <laughs> I don't know. He really wanted him to play, but uh yeah. so all right, then uh Jim and Scout meet uh, this new kid, uh Dill. Uh he can read. That's what I kind of remember about Dill. <laughs> I'm about 7 and I can read. I'm Charles Baker Harris. I can read. You got anything needs reading, I can do. Uh, but yeah, they kind of become friends quickly, as kids do back in yeah. the day. You're in a small town. Oh, hey, I'm a kid. You're a kid. Let's go play. Yeah. They pass by. Uh, the they see or they see the meanest man in Makem, Nathan Radley, uh, who has a boy named Boo. They're just kind of setting up the the myth or the you know the mythos of mm-hmm. Boo Radley, if you will. And Jem shares some scary stories about him and whatnot. Kind of he's become a bit of an urban legend um, that he what he stabbed somebody. And they kept him, you know, in a basement of a of the courthouse and things like that, chained up and whatnot. We also meet Dill's aunt Stephanie, who corroborates with uh, Jim mm-hmm. that that Boo is this madman. So, well, you know, the women of the town they love to gossip. They <laughs> they love their gossip. If there is one, not to say bad thing about the film, but there if there it is one thing. I mean, it's also it's a product of it it's time but it's it also is. talking about a time of the of the 30s right i think is when this is set like right after the great depression or during the during great depression the great or whatever depression, yeah yeah it's it's that is a very male driven society there's right. only men on the jury there's only men who are running the town and whatnot but that is pretty damn historically accurate yeah. so you know as as not great as that is but that's you know uh, when we're doing a historical piece i prefer to see accuracy or i prefer to see who gives a fuck? You know, right. say Hamilton. I don't care about the accuracy on that one. I just want a <laughs> right. good show. Right. And they do a great job with it. But, or if you're trying to do historical accuracy, I think, you know, how it goes. So at 5 p.m., Jem, Scout, and Dill go see Atticus, but they have to p- pass by this mean old lady's house. Uh, Miss, uh, what was her? Dubois. Dubois. Yeah, such like a southern, like, you know, old lady name. Atticus kind of walks by, charms her. We just kind of see he's a gentleman in yes. general. Like so, he's he's well respected. Fun little fact: last year, uh, during the at the Broadway run, they had Mary Badham come in and play Miss Dubois. Oh, that's awesome! Uh, that is very cool. <laughs> so she came she came back to came back to the to the to the thing that she's most beloved known. I would I would guess is most belovedly known for. I would um, assume and so played too. Miss Dubois on the uh, in the. I can't remember if it was a touring run. It was probably just a Broadway run. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know for how long, but I know it was last year, 2022. Okay. I do wish... Um, now, I honestly, I remember the movie more than I remember the book. Yes. I don't remember... I feel like Miss Dubois should have had a couple, a little bit more to her. Literally, this is like the only time I really see her. She just yells right here, and we don't get much more to her, but I feel like there needs to be a little bit more to the character. In I remember... Uh, if I'm remembering this correctly, there was a little bit more in the play because I'm I'm basing this off of my memory from mm-hmm. God. This would have been the early to mid '90s uh, when this happened. And I remember having more lines talking about her because I think Jem mm-hmm. has to go over to her house to read to her because she can't see as well because she's old. Uh, okay. Because uh, I remember him in the play. I had to complain about her her making me read Ivanhoe, which is this. Oh beast of a book like uh-huh. thousand pages long or something like that um so i think there there might have been a little bit too book i do remember even though i don't remember why i just remember i liked the movie more than i liked the book i think there were some differences in the book that i okay. didn't like and i think it's because i'd already seen the movie sure by that time and and i already kind of beloved the story told that way sure that night scout asks atticus about boo radley and 
the Radley family and, and Atticus just wants them, hey, leave that, leave that family alone. And he ends up just kind of putting her to bed. Uh, and as kids do, Scout about to go to sleep, but she's talking through Jem through the wall. And uh, Scout asks about their mother and whatnot and kind of can see Atticus out on the porch sitting and contemplating and probably thinking about uh, the wife as well. Then the judge comes by, wants to talk to Atticus, sets up that they, they discuss Tom Robinson, who's apparently might be going to trial. Uh, currently, the case is at the grand jury to decide uh, if it will go to trial. Um, and the judge wants Atticus to take the case. So, I don't, yeah, back in the in this time, I don't know, in a small town, you know, there's very limited lawyers and limited everything. And um, maybe that's how it is that we're judge appoints lawyers to the defendants as opposed to public defendants. And I mean, yeah, it's not the same as we have now, I right. assume. Also, yeah, it, yeah, it's small town. So exactly. Sometimes so, things have yep, to be changed. And, and I was on a grand jury once is actually um, so a grand jury is different from a regular jury. It's not a trial jury. Right. Grand jury is where basically investigators and cops and also are like the DA and whatnot will come in to talk to them to basically the grand jury decides, is there enough evidence to take a court or take a case to trial. Okay. As simple as that. So that's what it is. It's actually, that's where I got COVID in 2020. For some reason, (laughs) my, my County decided, Hey, it's, it's November of 2020. This COVID thing's probably done. Um, let's start up grand juries again. And I got summoned and then I got COVID and, uh, quite literally not say nearly died, but it was not good for me. (laughs) So, but I (laughs) luckily healed up. But anyway, so that's what I was kind of confused at first about what a grand jury is and does, Mm -hmm. because I always thought, you know, you hear jury and then you hear grand jury. And I was like, oh, the grand jury, they must be like for important trials. Right. But no, they're actually before the trial happens. They're just to see if it gets to the case or gets to to trial at all. So, yeah. All right. All right. Anyway, the next day, Jem and Dill play. Uh, in an old with an old tire, you know, get into the tire and roll it. I feel like a lot of old kids did this. I'm just, I'm pretty damn certain I've done this. Um, but they had Scout in there, and it rolls all the way to the to the Radley front porch. Uh, Jim gets her, and then he runs up to the porch and touches the door, basically to prove he's not a coward because of something Dill said earlier. Right. Um, and Dill, who's not really from the town, but he wants to go see the basement uh, of the courthouse that Boo was chained up in. And so they head over there and they watch uh, Atticus with the grand jury and they lift Dill up to watch through the window. And then eventually Atticus comes around another side and sees the kids and he uh, wants to send them back home. But we also at this point meet Bob Ewell. Uh, we find out that the, the charges for Tom Robinson uh, are that he raped Ewell's daughter, Mayella, and Overall, it's just obvious Bob Ewell is a deep-seated racist. Uh, we can tell immediately, you know, that he's uh, ignorant on that aspect, and he's the main villain of the movie. Mm-hmm. That night, the kids go back to the Radley house to see if they can see Boo. Jim uh, gets to the window, but then there's a scary shadow, which is potentially Boo walking around at night, and they run, and they get scared, they get out of there, and while fleeing, Jem gets his overalls caught under the fence. He has to take them off to run. Jem then eventually has to go back to get them. Scout hears a gunshot while Jem is gone, uh, but Jem, but Jem luckily comes back with his pants unscathed. He's okay. He got away from Nathan Radley, who shot at what he thought was Prowlers. So uh, it's the end of summer, so Dill has to return to Mississippi, and it's school time. At school time, you got to dress nice for school. Scout comes out in a dress, and Jem just yucks it up because <laughs> Scout's very much a tomboy. Yeah, in this one, and so her wearing a dress is, is not not uh, enjoyable. So, 
It's like your daughter. Your daughter's not necessarily she's necessarily tomboy, but I don't really hardly ever see her in a dress. She goes through periods where uh-huh. she'll want to wear a dress, but she's kind of she's at that point now where she just wants to be comfortable. Yeah, she. I mean, she will absolutely wear a dress for like performances because, like, when she has like she plays. Oh, harp. that makes. Well, so yeah, she that has harp sense. stuff. She'll she'll wear a dress, and she doesn't have, seem to have a problem wearing it. Mm-hmm. Um, she just would rather wear pants. Yeah, I don't. I don't blame her. Yeah. Pants. Well, actually, at the same time, sometimes I'll put on a kilt, and kilts are very comfortable. Oh gosh, I wish we could wear them all the time. Yeah, without the stigma. Yeah, exactly. It's like yeah, it's weird though because kilts kilts have either the stigma of oh you're a weird sissy man or you're the hardest hard man of all time. Right? <laughs> it's there's like no in between. Right. I just want you know just let me walk around with a kilt and not yeah. feel freaky about it. Yeah, I just want to be comfortable. All right. At school, Scout beats the shit out of some kid. Um, just kind of showing more of her tomboy <laughs> side, but it's the child of a the client that gave Atticus some crops. Uh, before Jem ends up stopping the fight and kind of being the peacemaker, ends up inviting the kid to dinner, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. So at dinner, the kid talks of you know about him and his father hunting squirrels and rabbits and whatnot, which leads Atticus to talking about oh you know when he was a kid, you know and he was obviously or not obviously, but Jem also has like this obsession about you know he wants to get a gun. Yeah. Get, when am I going to get my gun, Dad? Because <laughs> I guess that's like almost like a rite of passage for a young Southern boy. Yes. Yeah. Especially rural. Absolutely, um, which uh, Atticus starts talking about that, and he brings up the story of you know his father told him you know when you have a gun you can shoot all of the bluebirds you want, um, but it's a sin to kill a mockingbird. He told me that I should never point at anything in the house, and that he'd rather I'd shoot at tin cans in the backyard. But he said that sooner or later he supposed the temptation to go after birds would be too much. And that I could shoot all of the blue jays I wanted, if I could hit them. But to remember, it was a sin to kill a mockingbird. I've never heard that. I don't think right. that's. A, I think I don't know if that was made up for this movie or if it's a thing. But blue jays are the assholes of the bird community. <laughs> if you've ever seen, yeah, blue jays will like you know attack other ones, steal their nests, and they're just they're jerks. Yeah. So you can you know. But and mockingbirds and mockingbirds, I guess, sing, but they also mock other birds. Like mockingbirds don't have a beautiful voice. I've, I hear mockingbirds and they, they'll they'll mimic other stuff too. But whatever, don't kill a mockingbird. Yeah, <laughs> you probably just you shouldn't go around just shooting birds in general unless you're hunting for food or something like that. But right. whatever. All right, uh, that kid Walter then uh, pours syrup all over his dinner. Obviously, he. You know, equates maybe syrup with something a little bit fancier than his own. He doesn't right. get that often, and so he pours it all over his dinner, which confuses Scout. And she starts to say something, but then Atticus kind of uh, tries to shut her up, and Capernia scolds her a little bit further right. for doing so. Um, which honestly, I mean, I think it is. You you can get like a whole lesson in manners of, of right. nice Southern manners. Like, hey, this is your guest. If right. they want to put fucking syrup all over their stuff, let them do it. That's a Capernia's line of. If he wants to eat the tablecloth, you will let him. Yeah. That boy is your company. And if he wants to eat up that tablecloth, you will let him, you hear? And if you can't act fit to eat like folks, you can just sit here and eat the kitchen. Exactly. Exactly. And it's also, I mean, in particular, you know, someone who may not be, you know, they're all kind of a poor town, but this kid might be just a little bit more poor than others. And right. so if whatever he wants to do, if he's a guest in your house, you know, let him feel comfortable. So Atticus then talks to Scout as she's kind of frustrated uh, with school and things, and they kind of make a compromise, which the narrator explains in general, the narrator, older Scout, explains Atticus was just kind of, he's good at lawyering. Uh, Some of these scenes really just setting up Atticus as a genuine, nice, uh, but he's also 
good at what he does. Mm-hmm. All right, then cut to later. A rabid dog is in town. Um, it's kind of across the street, and it's freaking out. Atticus comes home. He gets a call from Calpurnia. He comes home with the sheriff. The sheriff, you know, doesn't want to. He's like, I'm, I'm no good as a shot. He hands the gun to Atticus, which Jem is all surprised. Like, what? My dad? He can't shoot. He doesn't shoot. Right. And then Atticus shoots the dog and gets him. And, you know, kind of a surprise. It's, it's I think, a little thing for Jem. He learns that, oh, my father has some other stuff to him that I may, I may not know. Right. Uh, later, the kids join Atticus as he goes to see Tom Robinson's wife and talk about the trial. Um, but then ominously, a very drunk Bob Ewell, who must live close, I assume, or I guess it's all a small town, but he's... Well, plus, uh, Tom Robinson walks by their place all the time, so they must live close. Yep, good call. Uh, so Bob, you know, walks around very drunk and stumbles kind of towards the car. He frightens Jim um, and has some words for Atticus and then leaves. Mm-hmm. Uh, later, Atticus drives Calpurnia home. Jem is on the street, notices a charm placed in a knot of a tree in front of the Radley house. So he pulls that out. Interesting. What is this? At school, we see Scout uh, doing some more fighting. At home, we find out it's because one of the kids talked ill about Atticus and the family, basically. Atticus makes Scout promise not to fight anymore. Yeah, when you're a kid, the only thing you really have is your pride. Yeah, that's, that's so. pretty true. Um, Scout and Jem then stumble upon some like little soap dolls uh, that were also in the knot in front of the Radley house. And so they pull them out and they think it's them and maybe it is them. Kind of hard to tell, but they think it's, you know, that they're they're the the dolls are supposed to be representative of Scott, uh, Scout and Jem. Uh, and then Nathan Radley comes out and fills that hole with cement because uh, he can tell something's going on. So. Uh, that night, Jem shows Scout all the things that he's found in the box. Apparently, he's been getting these things for a while now, different types of stuff, a broken pocket watch, some marbles and some other stuff, all this kind of stuff. Also, some other weird stuff in town is he, he mentions that when he went back to get his britches, you know, his overalls, when they got, he had to take them off, they weren't still tangled up in the fence. They were kind of folded over the fence. And so, I don't know, there's somebody's been doing this this stuff, almost not quite watching out for them, but mm-hmm. almost. Yep. Kind of. So so it's after school now, and summertime has come. Dill has returned to town. Uh, we find out that Tom Robinson's trial is tomorrow. Atticus gets told that there might be trouble with Tom Robinson being brought back in from the jail. He's back in from, like, a other prison holding. Now he's going to the jail before the trial, and he's worried about a lynching. So he goes uh, to sit outside the jail that night. Um, but, of course, Jem, Scout, and Dill go to see Atticus sitting there. Uh, and then multiple cars come. And it's exactly what's going to happen. The white men in town were going to go lynch Tom Robinson. Atticus stands his ground. um, But really what diffuses the situation is the kids come in. And, you know, Atticus, of course, wants to get them out of there because he's worried. Um, But Jem refuses. Jem Jem is not afraid to stand up to his dad. No. So I I appreciate that. But Scout, it's really when Scout starts to talk. She recognizes Mr. Cunningham, uh, who was the guy who brought over the crops earlier and his son had dinner with them. And she just very genuinely and sweetly and innocently talks to right. him and just like, oh, Mr. Cunningham, how's it going? Do, do you remember me? It's good. It's good to see you. You know, yada, yada, yada. Right. That really just immediately diffuses Mr. Cunningham yeah. um, and some of the other people because it's just like, hey, here's this innocent child and what they're about to do. And, you know, so he just kind of they just, he breaks up the, the mob and they kind of end up leaving and going home. Yeah. The next day, everyone goes to the courthouse uh, to watch, you know, the trial 
the kids go sit in with the uh, the the black families who at this time very segregated, so the black people could sit at the top in the second story of the courthouse and um, all the white people could sit in the first floor, basically. Mm -hmm. So they sit with the people that they know. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's a reverend, and so they go sit with him. The trial begins, and the sheriff takes the stand. Uh, Then Bob Ewell takes the stand. Um, Atticus shows during his bit that Bob Ewell is left-handed. And we also find out that Mayella uh, was hit on the right side of her face. Mm -hmm. So So the angle, what would have hit her, is mostly coming from, say, the left. Uh, Mayella then takes the stand and can tell she's scared and she's not confident in her answers. Atticus then shows that Tom can't use his left hand at all. He was apparently caught in a cotton gin when he was 12 years old. So just kind of really trying to emphasize, hey, someone who got hit so much from that left side would have needed to be someone who is dominant on their left side. Yeah. So, which is not going to be Tom Robinson. So he then takes the stand wonderful performance by brock peters here i think this is this is we definitely get obviously in in just a little bit peck's gregory peck's wonderful performance and kind of his final statements but brock peters's emotion and his i would say fear and everything when he is on the stand is is my is another standout moment for the movie for me yeah i totally agree Um, but he tells the court you know what happened uh basically that day that she came on to him mm-hmm. and she kissed him and, you know, just, you know, how how frightened he was and all this kind of stuff that Mr. Yule is the one that hit her and yeah. that kind of stuff. Uh, the state cross examines and just in general racial tensions are right. high, basically, you know, about the because they talk about how Tom felt sorry for the girl, you know, like how dare a black man feel sorry for a white man or a white woman. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's. It's disgusting to think about now, right? But holy shit, John! I mean, you think you think about it. That's what that's less. It's less than a hundred years ago, and this was, and, and even less than that, even that this was commonplace, right? For of course. A, a lot of people. So, all right. Then Atticus does his final statements, and this, uh, I mean, this is an all-time top-tier monologue. The witnesses for the state, with the exception of the sheriff of Macon County have presented themselves to you gentlemen, to this court. And the cynical confidence that their testimony would not be doubted. Confident that you gentlemen would go along with them on the assumption. The evil assumption that all Negroes lie. All Negroes are basically immoral beings. All Negro men are not to be trusted around our women. An assumption that one associates with minds of their caliber. And which is in itself, gentlemen, a lie. Which I do not need to point out to you. And so, a quiet, humble, respectable Negro who has had the unmitigated temerity to feel sorry for a white woman has had to put his word against two white peoples. The defendant is not guilty, but somebody in this courtroom is. Now, gentlemen, 
in this country, our courts are the great levelers. In our courts, all men are created equal. I'm no idealist to believe firmly in the integrity of our courts and of our jury system. That's no ideal to me. That is a living, working reality. Now, I am confident that you gentlemen will review without passion the evidence that you have heard, come to a decision, and restore this man to his family. And all on the first take. Oh, really? Yep. That's impressive. Did not know that. Yeah. And this, I would say this, this moment and this monologue is really kind of what I would say gets Gregory Peck the Oscar, (laughs) in my opinion. So uh, the jury deliberates for about two hours and they find um, that Tom Robinson is guilty. And man, as many times as I see this movie, I almost always forget that they, that they do the guilty verdict. Yeah. Because in Hollywood, with the movies, you expect, okay, the hero's gonna gonna win out in the end. He's gonna change right. the minds. And he just had that great monologue of, you know, don't fall into your racial profilings. Don't fall into, you know, society's thoughts of all this kind of shit. Right. And then it just goes exactly that way. And you're just yeah. like, damn it, why do I always forget that? Yeah. <laughs> and it just kind of hits hard every single time. Um, as everyone's left the courthouse, Atticus is kind of one of the last people to leave, but the black community up on the second floor all wait for him and they stand up as he leaves, basically showing respect for what he did for Tom Robinson, for fighting as hard as he did for Tom Robinson. Yeah. Uh, back at home, the sheriff stops by and the neighbor woman tries to comfort Jem about everything that's going on. And then Atticus comes in and explains that Tom Robinson is dead. Uh, apparently, he tried to flee and was shot and killed. My wife brought this up after the end of the movie, but she goes, with everything that has been going on in the last couple of years, she go, she, she, she looked at me, she goes, do you believe he actually tried to want, run away? And I'm going to say yes, and only because of this. Because at the end of the trial, when they take him away, Brock Peters has such a scared look on his face as to what is about to happen to him. Mm-hmm. That and like, even after this scene, uh, Atticus mentions like I told him we'd probably lose this one, and then yeah. we'd go on appeal. But he, he's such he's in such shock and is so mm-hmm. scared that I kind of believe that that is what happened. Uh, I can't remember if he said it was the deputy or if it was Sheriff Heck who shot him. I think it was a deputy. I don't, yeah, I don't think it was it was Heck. Because if it was the fact that they just killed him on person, I don't think it would have been Heck. Heck. Might yeah. be incompetent, mm-hmm. but I found Heck to be a generally honorable person. Even though he his he you know he may lean probably more towards the side of. I mean he's also in the position where his I I don't know if his position is is elected or not because I think some sheriffs are appointed and some sheriffs are. Sure. I think it depends on a level whether it's 
uh, local county or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I know. I know ours is elected. Yeah, where I'm at. Yeah. I honestly think that is probably what happened. Now, whether or not the deputy missed on purpose mm. is another thing. Maybe the deputy sure. didn't miss. Maybe he hit him exactly where he was trying to hit him. That's possible. Um, but we don't really get to see the deputy, so it's impossible to know. Yeah, uh, I yeah. kind of I do get the feeling he probably did run out of just sheer fear. I mean, the, the the truth of the matter is they shouldn't have shot at him to begin with. You're not supposed to shoot someone who's fleeing. You, you just go get them. Yeah. Um, but that's neither here nor there. That was also like, at this point, almost 100 years ago. Yeah. Uh, for the 1930s. So my opinion is that that is what happened because Brock Peters sells the fear. He does. Of Tom Robinson as he's leaving the courthouse. I had the exact same thought as your wife on, okay, did they... Did they, did they honestly end up just giving him to a mob or did right. they just kill him on purpose? Right. But I think because they went into such more detail about how he died, about him running and he looked like a madman. And you're right. Brock Peters performance of him just selling that he's feared, scared for his life. Um, and I think I don't know. I wonder if they if there's some kind of parallel with the rabid dog and oh. the fear from from tom robinson here mm -hmm. um so that so i feel like i, I agree that it, it i think it actually did happen that the way the sheriff mentioned but yeah. initially if they would have just said less detail that like he's died and you know how he tried to run and, and they they had to shoot him if it was just as simple as that and they didn't go into more of the you know he how how frightened he was and other stuff right. like that i feel like it could have been a cover-up yeah I, I agree so all right atticus has to tell tom robinson's family it's heartbreaking and then Bob Yule creeps up, just being a racist fuck. And I, it's just, you know, he's one of those characters. Yeah, I want to wish I could reach into the movie and punch him real good. Which, honestly, I know I've mentioned this before, but I've put it on our on our to-do list as the Ghost of, Ghost of Mississippi. Oh, yeah. When I think of some one of my just most hated villains of all time, mm -hmm. it's James Woods in that movie. And his performance, though, it's it's mind bending how good it is cool. how much i hate this character right so so anyway I'm, I, that's on we're gonna do some more uh racial tensions when we <laughs> when we talk that movie yeah but now back into the 60s here bob yule spits into atticus's face uh, you know obviously he's just he, he thinks you know he's almost like a race traitor for protecting tom robinson or trying to get him off and whatnot um and atticus phew, keeps in mind keeps his cool yeah. And he ends up just leaving without doing anything. So uh, Scout narrates and the shift goes away from the trial and back to kind of the search for Boo Radley. At a school event, like a little play or something that's happening, Scout has to dress up as a ham. And just the <laughs> big paper mache costume is ridiculous <laughs> of her as a ham. And uh, she loses her dress and shoes for some reason and on the walk home has to come back you know just wearing the ham costume and um, as they're walking back through the woods they get attacked by someone gets pushed around Jem gets uh, hurt and knocked unconscious scout has to flee uh, and then or you know or they're about you know, doing all this and there's a madness going on and then someone comes in and stops the person who was attacking them and then we cut to scouts POV of whoever this person had stopped them carrying Jem mm -hmm. um, across back to the their house and Scout eventually follows. Um, Atticus has the doctor come over. Jem has a broken arm. And the sheriff then comes over and says that Bob Ewell was found in the woods with a kitchen knife in his ribs. 
This was my favorite part of the play to do because so we walk and I believe we had the giant ham costume for Scout. <laughs> it, it, you know, it, it's a the stage is not huge, so it's all just kind of done very, very quickly as us walking across. And then I have to fight with Bob Yule. Here's the funny thing. In eighth grade, I was pretty much almost the same height then as I am now <laughs> at six feet. So uh-huh. I was a gigantic uh, 12-year-old or whatever uh-huh. was. Um, I believe I was taller than the guy who played Bob Yule. Oh, that's funny. So he had to attack me. I would collapse. Uh, and then the guy who played the mysterious person, who we'll talk about in a second, oh, yeah. uh, had to come out and fight. And they actually showed the stabbing on Well, they showed it in silhouette of uh-huh. the stabbing um, in stage. And then the mysterious person actually had to pick me up and put he couldn't carry me like like this person does like that he had to put me over his shoulder yeah and then carry me off stage and then that was the last time i was seen in the play because the, sure. they didn't have the the ways of, of changing the the location to show the inside the house so that and that was that was my that was my exit was okay. him being carried off which honestly was a lot of fun every night being carried off nice. because <laughs> i was so tall that the guy you could hear him every night as he, uh. <laughs> as he lifted me up. That's funny. That's funny. Uh, so, yeah. Um, so, Bob Buell now is dead, and he was the one yeah, so who attacked him. And uh, Scout tries to recall what happened. And while she's recalling what happened, she notices, oh, the person who was carrying Jim. It was, he's kind of hidden, hidden behind in the shadows behind this door. It's Boo Radley. She knows exactly who it is. Boo saved them from Bob Buell. Mm-hmm. So, so he's he's the hero. Now, granted... He did. He did. He is still a bit murderous um, because he is his whole story of being like a psycho stab somebody with a knife. He kind of just proved that a little yeah. bit. He, he came and stabbed Bob. He didn't just stop him and, you know, knock him unconscious. He killed him with a knife. But it was to save these two kids because yes. it was obvious that that Mr. Yule was going to kill them. Yeah. For or at least seriously hurt them. Yes, exactly. So um, the sheriff explains to. Uh, to Atticus that how he remembers it or how he kind of picked up on it that Bob Yule fell on his knife. They're mm-hmm. going to cover it up. Um, it's almost karma, as he kind of mentions. It's basically karma for Tom Robinson's death because he's dead. The, but now the person who is ulti- yeah. was ultimately responsible or who is responsible for that, now he's dead too. And this to me, this is what shows that, heck, the sheriff is a good person. It, I wholeheartedly agree. And he also mentions... That's why I generally believe his story. Yeah. Yes, even Atticus, um, in his monologue, uh, his final statements mentions that all the other people who who were witnesses for for the prosecution were basically just pushing racial tensions. Uh, he said he says like aside from Sheriff Tate. So mm-hmm. if Atticus trusts him, then yeah. we kind of therefore trust him too. Yeah. The sheriff also doesn't want Boo to Boo is, is a introverted, scared kind of character. Um, he wants his solitude, and he doesn't want him to kind of come into the limelight for saving these kids. And every as he, the way he puts it is that you know every every you know wife in in the county is going to bring him a pie, and you know they just want to he just needs to be left alone. Yeah, this whole so the whole story is actually is loosely based on Harper Lee's experience as a child because her father was a lawyer in a small town in Alabama. Okay, so that's where this whole thing comes about. I mean, it's clear to everyone now. Boo Radley probably was developmentally challenged in some way, Mm -hmm. um, which is why he had all these things in a time when that sort of thing was like 
she, like, nobody would like, oh, my kid's not this or doesn't have this instead of addressing it, yeah. and which I'm sure just exacerbated all of the issues of that guy growing up. There's also thoughts that maybe Boo Radley was supposed to be albino because he oh. was never in the sun. Um, in fact, Robert Duvall purposely stayed out of the sun for three weeks before filming that it was skin would pale, and he dyed his hair blonde. Uh-huh. Um, so, I mean, that's possible if 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 the if it's based on a real person that Harper Lee knew. Maybe this person had albi- albinism. I think it's albinism mm. or something like that. But clearly, this, whatever whatever the issue was, it was at a time when it would not have been addressed, especially in a very small rural town yeah. in Alabama. Yeah. Absolutely, Scout kind of equates if Boo would have been you know brought into the limelight. It's almost like it's almost like shooting a mockingbird, you know, yeah. kind of thing. She kind of pulls it back. Yeah. Hey, that's the name of the movie. <laughs> and <laughs> Scout then walks Boo home, and the narrator kind of narrates a little bit as the film ends. And so that is the end of our movie. Uh, I'm going to go first sure. real quick. I'm going to be fairly short and sweet. The movie's a classic. It's a classic for a reason. It's a great story, great moral compass and direction with this film. It came out in the 60s when civil rights was a huge thing. And so mm-hmm. obviously this was you know, trying to help push that. It's, it's, it's an American tale, I feel. Yeah. Um, this movie and this and the story and Gregory Peck's performance, Brock Peters' performance, even the kids do a great job. Well, uh, Mary Batum was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. She's a really great job. So I'll always appreciate this film. It's a fantastic film. I, I, I do see a couple things here and there. It's like, OK, but, you know, that's just nitpicky. Adam, of who course, understands filmmaking a little bit more. But as a movie, uh, it's just it's just phenomenal. It's always going to be in my heart. Yeah, I really don't actually even have that much more to add because that those are all you know my thoughts as well. It is a classic film. I, it has a very special place in my heart because I got to do the 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 play and I felt a I feel a big connection to the story and and a lot of pride anytime it ever comes up in in conversation with anyone. Even if I'm just talking about the film, not even mentioning the fact that that I was in the play. Um, because I love the story so much. It's, it is, as you, as you said, it is an American tale and not a good tale or like, you know, not the best of tales, but it is a real tale of life in the South and other places really in the U S at that time. And it it's honest. It's, it's told through the honest eyes of a child who only knows what they see it's. Uh, I did show this to my family. My daughter really didn't pay attention uh-huh. the whole time. My son did sit and watch the whole thing with me. Um, I didn't get a chance to really ask him what he thought of the film, but he was like asking me questions every time something was happening or if I had to explain something to him. And I think he understood what was going on because I was okay. probably about his age when I saw sure. the film for the first time. Did you tell because your son's into acting? Yes. Um, did your did you tell him that you played that role? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, he okay. I'd mentioned it before, but he asked me a lot of questions about my experience in the play as the film was going on, and a lot of times it was something like, "Well, how did you do this?" I'm like, "Well, we didn't do that in the play because you can't sure. do that in the play, but it's, it's different." <laughs> so we did talk about all that stuff and and whatnot. And to his credit, he sat and watched without complaining throughout the whole thing. Nice. So hopefully, hopefully he was able to take something away from it. I think maybe as he gets older, we'll, we'll revisit it. 
Sure. Just to kind of emphasize certain things and whatnot. But overall, this is a film you could get me to sit down and watch pretty much at any time. All right, we're going to step away from the dramatic side of things and go towards the comedic side, but we're going to stay in black and white and stay in the 60s. We are going to talk Mr. Ed, the famous Mr. Ed, uh, from 1961 to 1966. This show was on six seasons, 143 episodes. It actually started in syndication in early 1961, uh, but then later that year, it got picked up by CBS, and it ran uh, for the rest of its run on CBS. Uh, But John and I will mention... Um, him more so than me, but I definitely saw it as well on Nick at Night. Yep, that's it was one of my it was one of my go to favorites for my Nick at Night viewings. So, and that's that's why I picked this show because mm-hmm. um, I remember. I mean, I really wanted to do To Kill a Mockingbird, and I was like, well, what goes with it? Well, I feel, I feel like I want to keep in the black and white yeah. time frame. Um, and when I think of Nick at Night, the very first show that pops up for me is Mister Ed. Yeah, because. I can I remember this one being on for us. Oh yeah, I think it was. I honestly think it was definitely, if not the first show, like one of the first shows that they would show mm-hmm. uh, on Nick at Night pretty regularly. Sure. Yeah, because you know we might not watch it late into Nick at Night, but we saw probably the first couple shows right. or, or a little bit farther. And you're right, Mr. Ed was probably on like that in that first hour block, and we saw it all the time. Yeah, I remember so. Mr. Ed, uh, Donna Reed. Um, sometimes Lassie, I think, would, yeah, if I, mean, I remember correctly, like, maybe those were some of the ones that would be the first ones. And then a little bit later than that would be some of the more deep dives. Like uh, one I loved as a kid, which was uh, The Mindy Loves of Doby Gillis, um, F Troop, stuff like that, that um, I think as I got older was able to maybe stay up a little bit later than you guys and saw some of those. Because I, I don't remember those shows at all. So right. that, that probably was the case. Yeah. So, uh, so the Mr. Ed show concept was derived from a series of children's short stories by Walter R. Brooks. It was called uh, The Talking Horse. Uh, and so that's how they got this one. Let's talk the cast of this show. Uh, Wilbur Post. Wilbur um, <laughs> was played by Alan Young. And holy shit, this blew my mind. He did the voice of Scrooge McDuck. Yes. In DuckTales and all like that stuff. Like that was like. Holy crap, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it, what a what a cuz that nostalgia goes into 80s 90s kids like crazy. And so this guy, what a heck of a career. Yeah. I did I do remember I can't remember when I learned that, but I learned it pretty early uh early on that he was the same guy cuz I believe he's actually Scottish. Oh, I yeah. Oh, he's born I know, okay. But, yeah, he's born in Northern England. Uh, his father uh, was Scottish and then they moved to Edinburgh. So he's okay. Scottish. I I'm just cool. going to say he's Scottish. Um, so that totally makes sense, which honestly makes it more impressive that he was Wilbur because he he, yeah. had, he had a great <laughs> yes. sort of Midwest American accent voice yeah. uh, for the Mr. Ed series. Yep, absolutely. Uh, he also did some voices in Alvin and Chipmunks, a bunch of, bunch of stuff for this guy, so mm-hmm. great career for him. Carol Post, his wife, was played by Connie Hines. She wasn't in anything else I recognized. Uh, Mr. Ed, well, the horse, was played by Bamboo Harvester. Was the name of the horse I saw, a Palomino. Mm. Nice. Uh, and the voice was by Alan Lane. Um, he was uncredited, uh, basically, because he said, from what I saw, he didn't want to be credited at first because it, in case the show was a flop. Right. But obviously it was not. Um, he had done a shit ton of Western shows and things like that. A big Western actor. That makes sense. I mean, look at so. his picture and the first thing you're seeing is <laughs> yeah. <in> a Western. <laughs> I mean, also, I don't know. I don't know if they thought about this, but... I think sometimes, like, 
if a show like I could see a show like this being a hit with kids, not just with adults, mm-hmm. and the kids want the mystery of oh, it's a real talking horse that they got to yeah. put on TV. So they if without crediting the voice, it makes it seem like oh, he they got a real talking horse. I don't know if they really thought that, <laughs> but I could I could see that being a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were some different neighbors uh, throughout the seasons, a couple different neighbors that came in and out of the show. I'm not going to really mention them. Um, and then there were some special guests who kind of played themselves in the show at one point or another, including Clint Eastwood, Jaja Gabor, Mae West, uh, George Burns, amongst others. Because, of course, when you have a talking horse, you're going to have a wacky hijinks where the horse meets Clint Eastwood <laughs> for some reason. That was actually the episode I watched was the Clint Eastwood ah, episode. That's funny. I watched uh, a May, the Mae West one. <laughs> okay. So, very funny. Uh, so Wilbur and his wife Carol move into a house. There's a I watch. I also watched episode one uh, where they meet the horse. The, the, the so they move into this house, and a horse is just kind of there at the house, <laughs> and the horse reveals it can talk, but only really to Wilbur. Uh, and so there's all this kind of like silly situations where people think Wilbur's crazy because he's like, well, there's a talking horse. What's going on? And it's obviously the horse doesn't talk to anyone else it just it creates wacky wacky hijinks and situations yep. you know very situational comedy stuff mm-hmm. so uh, the show itself each episode you know it's a, it's a sitcom it's a 22 minute sitcom every episode wraps up in its own nice neat, neat its own nice little comedic package and overall the show is just meant to be silly and cute yeah you know simple stuff so from what i saw there, there had always been, or not always, but for a long time, I had heard there was a rumor that they used peanut butter to make the horse talk. Mm-hmm. But I looked into it a little bit further. Apparently, Alan Young kind of almost started that one, but he admitted that that was not actually how they did it. The horse just ended up getting trained. Like, they eventually trained it uh, where the trainer, you would see it would, like, touch the horse's leg or hoof or something, mm-hmm. and the horse just learned just to, to do the talking thing. Stuff. Yep. I actually, in one of the episodes that I saw, you could see, like, the trainer's, like, training stick, like, <laughs> in the shot, that, and then it moved it away as they pulled out. Right. So it, was, so it was obvious that, okay, that is definitely what was happening. Right. So, um, and that's how they, they made that voice happen. So some other interesting thing, apparently Alan Young is a natural, his natural hair color is pretty light blonde. Ah. And so it would blend in too much with the color of Mr. Ed's coat. And so they had to dye his hair all the time. So he had a darker hair that worked better with the contrast of the, of the time of using black and white. The bamboo forester horse died in 1970. So only a few years after the show finished. Mm -hmm. Uh, And people out there, if you are so inclined, you can visit the Mr. Ed's grave in Toluca, uh, Telequa, Oklahoma. Oh, so, okay. There we go. Uh, and of course, if it's a show that we loved as a kid, that means it's probably got a good theme song. So let's talk about that. Hello, I'm Mr. Ed. A horse is a horse, of course, of course, and no one can talk to a horse, of course, that is, of course, unless the horse is the famous Mr. Ed. Go right to the source and ask the horse, he'll give you the answer that you endorse. He's always on a steady course. Talk to Mr. Ed. It's it's a classic. It is, man. <laughs> Though it's got it's got simple lyrics that all kids you right. know can a horse is a horse of course of course but yeah and it's just it's it's wonderful you know it's just a very simple basic but a great little catchy theme song yeah very so, memorable yep uh, I saw in 1986 
a preacher from Ohio claimed that this cheerful theme song had a satanic message. <clears throat> and when you listen to it in reverse, he claimed that you could hear the source is Satan. The source is Satan. Um, and he can even convinced a group of teens to burn 300 cassette tapes <laughs> because of it. Are you fucking kidding me? It's a talking horse, man. Jeez. Some people. <laughs> Ridiculous. Yep. Some people. They actually tried to reboot this show. In 2004, there was a pilot made uh, with uh, Sherman Hemsley from the Jeffersons. Oh, wow. Uh, voicing Mr. Ed. And the pilot flopped. I'm... So it went nowhere. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I can't see this show working today. I just, no. I just can't. <laughs> no. But. Um, is there anything else on the show you you really want to mention? No, I mean it was eh, nothing that I can't just cover in my kind of wrap up. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean very simple sitcom with you know silly stuff happening. You know, simple premise. But yeah, rewatching this show, and I watched about two to three episodes. It's a cute show. Yeah. Yes, it's a product for its time, and again, and more some of that male dominated, you know, stuff that just how it was back then. Mm-hmm. Um, but None of it was in a hateful mindset. It is just, it is meant to be a good humored, funny, genuine show. Mm-hmm. And rewatching it now, I actually still kind of thought it was. I th- still think this is a pretty decent show. And I, I assume it's still in syndication somewhere because, right. you know, I feel like a lot of the themes and just like the cuteness works today. And so I liked it. I enjoyed myself watching this show. I only watched one episode, but it was it was very much what I remembered, which is just again, hijinks ensue. Silly little situations that get they get put in. The horse creates chaos. Wilbur has to deal with the chaos. It's funny stuff. Uh it's it's lighthearted, it's good natured. In in the one I watched, uh Clint Eastwood had moved into the neighborhood and his horse was stealing all the fillies from Mr. Ed. So <laughs> <laughs> he was getting jealous. He was getting jealous, so he he did this thing where he set up a, a it's, it set up a, a combined phone line for some weird reason. Like they were sharing a phone line for something, and he was getting on the line with when uh, when Clint Eastwood was talking to like his his agent or other stuff, and like creating chaos by like saying the saying the wrong thing at the wrong time or something uh, like that. So uh-huh. it was just it was just funny little you know stuff that I. I, I mean, I could sit down and enjoy it. I don't know that I would really go back to rewatch this show, but I could actually see introducing this show to my kids. I didn't get a chance to show it to them. And they might actually, you know, because some, some of the older stuff is simpler, and it's because I remember being a kid, like, loving this show, and I could see how kids would love this show. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I might try to, to throw them. I know, I think they're, it's on Roku, right? I just watched it uh- off of YouTube. I think yeah, I watched it on Daily Motion. Okay, I think it's on Pluto TV, which is which is on Roku. Oh, okay, I'm pretty sure. So I think that's I think that's there. Okay, which I don't have Roku, but okay, I'm not I'm not gonna buy another streaming no. service of any kind if I don't sure. have to. Sure. So, but yeah, there were a few full episodes on uh, on YouTube, and that was that was the one I found. Yep, and Daily Motion as well. So between those, you can, you guys can go and find some some get your get your Mister Ed fix. Yeah. This episode of the Blast from Our Past podcast is not brought to you by... There she is, the Lark by Studebaker. 
A compact with performability. You know about performability in the Lark? Yep. About the new Lark steering system, new brakes, new front wheel suspension, the Skybolt 6? Sure do. How come? I took a demonstration drive. Figures. You have to drive the Lark to believe it. See your Studebaker dealer tomorrow and take a demonstration drive. Tell him we sent you. See Mr. Ed again next week. And meanwhile, say hello to your Studebaker dealer who invites you to compare, test drive the most exciting compact in America today, the Lark by Studebaker. Uh, all right. Now we are going to attempt to do the casting part of the show. This is one I was both excited and very much apprehensive about recasting. Mm-hmm. This is a classic. I can see them wanting to remake this because just to update it. But honestly, that movie gives you everything you need out of it. Sure. Those actors did such a good job. Um, I can see how it'd be hard. Um, you know, I like similar to 12 Angry Men, they've actually done reboots of 12 Angry Men, which mm-hmm. I've never seen because I'm sure they were fine. And actually, the I one, s- the yeah. classic one that you and I know, I don't even think was the first one. I think there was actually one You're before right. that. I think I agree with you. But, you know, we like to uh, torture ourselves here at Blast From Our Past, <laughs> and so yeah. we're going to attempt to recast To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, the characters that we're going to do are, and there's a substantial amount, but I, I'll think, I think all important. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll do Atticus, Scout, Jem, and Dill. Yes, we're doing the kids because they are they are pretty much the essential part of this. They are the storytellers yeah. really throughout most of this. Yep. Yeah, happy. Uh, we'll th- we do Calpurnia, who was the the kind of the housekeeper that uh, Atticus had hired. We'll do Boo Radley because um, he's a very important character, even though he doesn't talk at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Robinson and Mayella and Bob Yule because they're kind of the antagonists, really, yeah. especially Bob Yule. Uh, we'll just kind of go in that reverse order because, um, uh, yeah. So, Bob Yule, Adam, who is your Bob Yule? So, yeah, I mean, somebody who can play a mean, old, angry, drunk, and racist guy. Um, this actor can do all that kind of stuff. I think I've seen him kind of do maybe not exactly like this, but pretty close. I went with Sam Rockwell as my Bob Yule. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He can do a lot of different stuff. I feel like I've seen him play like these kind of angry types or this kind of stuff. I, I mean, I, I, I yeah, I like. We all like him. I think most people like him as an actor. He can do a lot. Of, you can put him in a lot of different roles. Yeah. Um. And I just thought he fit well as kind of a rural, you know, angry racist. Yeah. Uh. I mean, Sam Rockwell would crush it. Sure. Yeah. Love that. Uh. I my actually my initial choice was someone who I think probably would have been better if they'd done it like 10 years ago. But, and I don't know if really this is important, I feel like it was kind of important to make Bob Yule a little bit shorter than Atticus because oh. I, I feel like there's that sort of like weaselly thing about Bob Yule. Sure. And, and having like having him kind of like this is like, like not scrawny, but like, you know, it's, it's, it's rural, so they're kind of probably a little malnourished. Um, from especially during the depression, uh, my initial pick was actually Terry O'Quinn, who's most famous for being on Lost. Uh, he was in Young Guns and the Rocketeer. He's the ah yes. But I think I think I think now he's kind of past the age where it makes sense for him to to have sure. done it. Um, so I I started looking around for another actor, and I remembered this guy from a show that I just saw a few couple months ago and really loved, and he has the right look. And he kind of played an asshole, 
but I think he could really dial it up for this. I went with Jamie McShane, who played the sheriff in Wednesday. Oh, you know what? That's a that's a really good call. I think I he, like. I, yeah, I think he's got that kind of scruffy, he does uh, you know, dust bowl look. Yep, and uh, we could just you know he could dial that up and and play a, a really hateful Bob Yule. Yeah, yeah, I like that call a lot. Cool. Uh, all right, well, let's move on to Mayella. I actually had a really hard time finding a, a Mayella about the right age that I wanted because she needs to be at least a teenager, mm-hmm. if not in her 20s. It's weird because they talk about Mayella almost as if, like, so there's Bob and then Mayella's his daughter, but then there's also yeah. a bunch of other children. So she's it's clearly- s- seven, seven other kids yeah, yeah. there or something. She's cl- yeah. But they never talk about the mother. And I don't remember ever the mother being mentioned in the play. I don't rem- remember if she was ever mentioned in the book or whatever. And maybe she died probably from having seven kids in poverty. But I, I wanted and I needed an actress who still looked young enough. Um, mm-hmm. So I was looking for kind of early 20s. I actually settled on an actress who I think is like 19 right now. Okay. I mean, that could that fits. That It fits. She has a very, very young looking face in the pictures, but pictures are very, very deceive- de- ah, deceiving. Yeah. Um, and she's been around, I think she's been acting for a little bit since about 2016, maybe a little bit before that. Oh, like 2012. So she's for about been acting for a decade. Um, she's most known for playing the young version of the character Beth in Yellowstone, of which I've actually never seen an episode. I mean, I heard people love it, though. Yeah. People love that show. But her name is Kylie Rogers. She's a beautiful young girl. We'll have to like yeah. kind of scruff her up a little bit to make her look. I like see. Yeah, poverty. she definitely. Yeah, because these are all headshots on IMDb right. and whatnot. So you're going to get the best looking stuff. Um, yeah, 36 credits, you know, and she's only like 19 or so. Yeah, no, I'm, pre- I'm, I'm just an impressive resume. I d- haven't seen any of her stuff. Yeah, I haven't either. But I'm certain it's a pretty small part. Right. Um, but yeah. Yeah, you scruff her up a bit. I'm sure she could do it. Okay. Actually, I'm even even like on IMDb, they have like little bits of she's done some like southerny rural stuff it looks like so i'm right. sure she would do great so all right who did you go with sure um i think my actress she's how old is she oh she's uh closer to 30 but i'm she still kind of has a pretty young face i'm sure she could play younger you know lower 20s mm-hmm. um as needed i remember her best from uh, once upon a time in hollywood uh, she played pussycat in that one which was a pretty okay movie and then not great it wasn't it's not my favorite tarantino at all um, but I think she could definitely, and from other pictures I've seen her in, I think she could definitely play like a scruffed up um, kind of rural young lady. I went with Margaret Qualley as my uh, Mayela Yule. Okay. Oh, I, I've i seen her in something. Okay. I recognize that face. I cannot tell you, because I never actually saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay. Just looking at the pictures, she's she's got that like kind of rural look to her. She does. She does. I think she. Fits, I think. I think fit very well. I, I. I honestly think you may have found a better. Better pick, but oh, she's okay. Andy McDowell's daughter. I see that. Now. Oh. Oh, I didn't know she's Andy McDowell's daughter. Okay. Yep. Oh. Cool. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm totally cool with that. All right. Uh, all right. Tom Robinson. This is an important part. Who did you go with? Uh, yeah. Um, it's I actually for his look. So here's the thing. I also always kind of try to look into some other castings if i find them to kind of give myself some um mm-hmm. uh you know ideas um or like i something i can like branch off of to be like oh i like that and in a lot of the tom robinsons 
like even for people who are casting like you know movies in 2022 and right around now in 2023 well, they're picking like a lot older people they're picking like denzel right and i'm like are you fucking kidding right, me right no maybe for the reverend right but tom robinson specifically needs to be a young strong black man yeah it, it has to be it's not an older you know not a grandpa type right and so I had to pick someone young. Now, Aldous Hodge, who I actually just recently cast in Con Air, mm. um, in that casting with uh, that we did with Stephen Wilhelm, I actually think he's got the exact look. He's I think he's got the height and the build, very similar to how kind of how Brock Peters had. But I just used him, right? So that's what I want to say. I'm not going to use Aldous Hodge uh, again. Instead, I really wanted to push an actor who I know is a phenomenal actor. Who I think when it comes to the monologue time at the trial. He would kill it. Um, he's not as beefy as Aldous Hodge, but I think mm-hmm. he's, he's more tall and lanky, but maybe he can put on some muscle for this right. role. I, and I've used him before, I'm sure of it. Lakeith Stanfield, he is a wonderful actor right now, and I think you know he would just kill this role. Okay, I'm looking at his stuff right now. I definitely have seen this picture, so I must have looked yeah. at him for something in the past. I'm sure you oh, have. He, he was in um, Knives Out. Yes, he was in Selma. He was, I I believe, he was also in uh, some of the um, what's that guy? The uh, the Nope, the Nope director. I think some of his stuff as well. Oh, Jordan Peele. Yeah, I think he was in Jordan Peele's some stuff as well. I think, unless I'm confusing with somebody else, but actually, I'm pretty sure he was in Get Out. If I can remember that. Uh oh, yep, he was. He was in Get Out for sure. But he's he's just he's just a I think a top tier actor right now. I think he's phenomenal. Okay. Oh, he played Snoop in Straight Outta Compton. Okay. Cool. I kind of didn't think about the whole strapping thing, but I probably should have. But, I mean, you know, with enough lead time, you can have someone at least put mm-hmm. on some bulk. It doesn't have to be, you know, it's a movie. It doesn't if, have to be pure muscle. Just beef them up just a little bit. If Kamal Nanjiani can get jacked <laughs> for a movie, then pretty much anybody can. Right. right. We, of which we didn't see it, which was so disappointing. I know. You saw his arms in one... <laughs> In the in the dance, yeah, which it. was so disappointing because that dude looked he looked good. <laughs> I went with an actor who I literally had as I was casting this yesterday or two nights ago, mm-hmm. uh, or when I started, I had just seen him uh, in a small part in Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania, and that put uh-huh. him in the forefront of my mind. So I looked him up and looked at some of the other stuff that he had done, and I was like, you know what, I kind of like it because I wanted a young. Tom Robinson. I wanted someone who was mm-hmm. like his his early twenties, at sure. least mid twenties at 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 the worst. At least at least could play that. Yeah. So uh, this guy has been uh, he actually done quite a bit of uh, voiceover stuff, um, but he was in the movie Midsummer. Uh, he was in he did a stint in The Good Place. That's probably where most people know because he did fifty episodes of that. So he was in it for a while. And as I said, he does a, a fun, a very funny small part in Ant-Man and the Lost Quantumania, and his name is William Jackson Harper. Yeah, looking at him. I mean, he's, he's I think, could, could be strapping enough. Um, I have not, yeah, he's, that's right, he's one of the regular guys on um, The Good Place. I haven't seen that show, but I've heard so many good things. Yeah, I, I would, I would give it, give it up to him. I'm sure he would do a really good job. Yeah. Yeah, we're just kind of, we're just going, I, and I think... I think the, I mean, he's been acting for a while. Looks like yeah. he started back in two thousand seven. So I, you know, I, with a with a very weighty part like this, I think any actor who you give it to is going to take it seriously and put in the work. I would hope. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, he's uh, he he doesn't look his age. He's forty two. Oh wow, he was born the same year the same year you were. Wow, okay. Because I was going off, I was like, oh, he looks young. Actually, actually, he's even he's forty three because his birthday's already happened. This oh wow. Year. So yeah, he does, but he does look young. Okay, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> well, that shows me. I should really pay more attention to the date. I <laughs> no, mean, I, he, I, it's it isn't acting. So it's exactly, and they they put you in your range of what you can act, and he can definitely act yep. young. Uh, okay. Boo Radley. I'll jump in with this. So this one, it kind of really just kind of doesn't, and I'm just going to say it doesn't matter, but it kind of doesn't matter. Yeah. Because it's not a talking part. So uh, I kind of looked for, I wanted a, another young guy because he. Need, I think he needs to be in his, his early 20s. Boo Radley um, mm. is an adult, but he's not, he still kind of has to be childlike, if that gotcha. makes any sense. I don't know. This guy's been around for a little bit because uh, probably the best known one that you might I can't remember if you loved this movie I remember I, I can't remember if it was you who mentioned this um, but he was in the movie Super Eight Oh I liked it Yeah I very much liked it uh, His name is Joel Courtney Yeah Okay Yes He's one of the older kids in that movie Okay Yeah I remember his face No Yeah He was one of the kids Yep Yep My God Some of his pictures He looks jacked now Yeah And that was part of the thing like. You know, we short cut up his hair, blonde him up a little bit, give him some mm-hmm. like sunken eyes, and I mean you can't really tell about Boo Radley's physique, but he's got to be able yeah. to beat up my Bob Yule. So, yes, yeah, I always kind of, you know, he doesn't need to be a big imposing character, right? But but I do, but I always had that feel. Oh yeah, um, I, by the way, it, I didn't mention young Robert Duvall, fucking good looking dude. Yeah. Yeah. Even even oh, yeah. with the sunken eyes and stuff like that, strong jaw and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's a good call. Uh, he was born to my. I like that because you you're right though. It could be you could go a lot of ways right. with Boo Radley. My actor is actually is ten years older okay. than Joel Courtney, but I kind of went with all right someone who who doesn't have super sunken eyes, but he just he's blonde. Um, and I think you you shave him up, you you keep him out of the sun. I think he could kind of have a the Boo Radley look and the feel that I you need just for a short little bit. He, we know him best probably as his uh, character. He was a U.S. agent in the Falcon and Winter Soldier. Ah, okay. I Wyatt Russell. All right, is who I that makes total sense. Radley. I could see that. Sure, I could sure. see that. Yeah, he's got he's got the facial features enough that you don't have to like digitize any of his face to make it look uh, make it look sunken or have to he just kind of mm-hmm. you put a little bit of makeup in the right spot to add the shadows and yeah excuse me would look great yep it's cool so. uh okay calpurnia i uh I'll, I'll let you go first sure um there's calpurnia is you know somewhat small role but she's actually in quite a bit of the movie you see her she is and i think you know i think they could have dived in further uh you know she does she does play an integral part of this of her role with the kids well she's and basically think, the mother figure because the mother has died so exactly but you know on top of you know Atticus just being an overall good person and not caring about the color of anybody's skin she I think is an integral part of these kids growing up oh, and yeah. not caring about race and all that kind of stuff and so they know about the black families in town and the cultures in town because I think because of Calpurnia right and you could go a lot of different age range with Calpurnia. She yeah. doesn't need to be. She could be all over the place. Yeah, honestly, I agree. And so you just, I wanted a strong actress, and I went with one of our best strong actresses right now. I went with Viola Davis as my Calpurnia. She was definitely somebody I looked at. 
She was sure. definitely somebody like that. I mean, you're never going to go wrong with mm. uh, Viola Davis. And uh, and I'm actually kind of excited to, to see her DC series that's apparently going to be coming out. I think actually yeah. her her character uh, was the only thing out of uh, the either Suicide Squad movie that I loved. Yeah, and I, I she plays it so so well, and I totally when they're like, oh, we're gonna give her own TV series. Yeah, totally get it. Yeah, totally get it. I want to I want to see it, and I want to see her being the asshole. She plays it so yeah. well. She, she does she's so and good. I, I feel, at the at, they kind of did her character a little dirty in the the Suicide Squad, mm-hmm. and so I kind of want to see her kind of redeemed as a bona fide badass. Yeah, I even totally further, agree. Because yeah. like you hate her, but you root yeah. for her at the same time. It's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because she usually ends up being right. Yeah, <laughs> which just makes you hate her even more that that Ex- she's right about yeah. everything that she's uh-huh. assuming. So I went with a actress who is probably a, about the same age range as, as Viola Davis. Um, we got into a, a series that I think won some Emmys called Abbott Elementary, um, and okay. that's the show has been a little hit or miss for me. I think my wife's loved it a little bit more than I have. Uh, mostly because I don't necessarily always need to see a show about the same type of place where I work. You know, I work at an elementary school. I don't necessarily need to see a show about it all the time. Um, but I can at least relate to the characters. And one of my favorite uh, characters on on that show is the character of Barbara, and she is played by Cheryl Lee Ralph. And I okay. think she would totally disappear into the role of Cal Burney. Okay. Trying to think. Oh, so, so she was in Moesha. Uh, she might have played the mother in Moesha. I can't remember. Um, or an aunt or something. I can't. I, I, she was in Oliver and Company. She was in Oliver and Company, which is awesome. Played a voice in that yeah. one. Wow, back in the 80s. Sister Act 2. Yep. Uh, great. A lot, a lot of great stuff. Over 100 credits. Um, I've, I've definitely seen her around, and I'm sure I was she saying, would. You, I, you've seen her face. Yes, absolutely. I'm looking right now. I've definitely seen her. Yeah. Uh, different stuff. So fantastic yeah i think she'd do great all right all right uh now the uh oh wait did we do yours yeah we did yours yeah we just talked yeah, about I did this yeah uh all right uh now the unenviable ones of the kids i had the damnedest time finding the right kids for this me too it was tough but i'm not gonna lie i think i nailed it i think it did a really good job all right well let's uh, let's let's see how we did uh let's, we'll start with dill uh kind of a funny little character it's he's kind mm. of a nice foil, not foil, but a nice addition to the to the kids because I think he, you know, he he's a little bit of a dreamer. He was always talking about his dad. Oh, my dad does this, and he's rich, and he's gonna come take me away. And he first he uh-huh. did trains, and now he does this year he does airplanes, and you know he's a dreamer, <laughs> but you, you you gotta love him. Um, so I honestly had a very tough time looking around, and I came to uh, a couple of kids who I think would work. Um, and so I picked uh, for for Dill, uh, a kid who has only had a few episodes uh, in the show that I love, but uh, I think he does a really good job. Uh, I went with Gus Turner, who plays Henry Lasso in Ted Lasso, plays Ted Lasso's kid. Okay. Yeah, you don't see too much of him, but uh, he is a kid, and I'm sure he'd do just fine. <laughs> he is a kid, yes. All right, who did you go with? All right, John. Before I hire you as my agent, I need you to tell me, John. Tell me, John. T- tell me. Show me the money, John. <laughs> Show me the money, John. Tell me. Show me the money. 
No, come on, more. Come on. You gotta you gotta make me I, believe. I'm not playing this game. Oh. <laughs> Show me the money! My kid is named Jerry Maguire. Oh, okay. Uh, and I was like, so, where are you going with this? That kid is way that's too That's where old. I'm going with it. His name is Jerry Maguire. He was in uh Modern Family. Um I think he was uh he played, I think, the kid of uh Ed Harris and what's her face? Uh not Ed Harris. Sophia no, not Ed Harris. Ed O'Neill. Ed O'Neill. <laughs> Ed O'Neill and and um and Sophia Vergara. I think he's he's twelve right now, but he looks. I think he still looks even younger. And so I think that's why he could fit as my dill. But he's got he's got some stuff that he's been working on. I think I think hopefully you know with his work on Modern Family, hopefully he would be just. How do you fine. spell it? Because every time I put it in, the movie is just it's, what comes up. Yeah, M A M A G U I R E. Are you sure it's not Jeremy Maguire? Oh, yes, you're right. It's Jeremy Maguire, <laughs> not Jerry Maguire. Whoops, it is Jeremy. Jeremy Maguire. Fuck that one up. <laughs> He's close enough. You know what? My, my whole bit is ruined, John. <laughs> well, it was ruined when I refused to, to buy into it, but sure. Uh, okay, cool. No, no, no. I'm cool with that. All right. Cool. Uh, all right, Jem. Who I wanted this one to be good. Who is going to be... Who's going to be your replacement? I know. My replacement. <laughs> I'll go ahead and jump into mine because I'm already thinking about it. I picked a kid who is a little bit older. Now. Well, not older. I think he's in his, I think he might be 13, 14, 15, somewhere around mm-hmm. then right now. Um, but uh, I've seen him do, I think what sold it to me, um, he's actually going to be in the new uh, movie Cocaine Bear, which honestly I kind of want to go see in theaters. <laughs> it looks wild. It looks wild. Like it, it looks stupid in the best possible way. You would absolutely know him as the title character in the Netflix series Sweet Tooth. Uh, I went with Christian Conver- Convery. I think it's Convery. Yeah, Convery. Yep, I have seen that, and actually, I can I considered him for Dill almost mm-hmm. actually because um, he's got a very baby face. He does, but yes, I I, I think he's good in that one. He's been doing some leading stuff so i like that a lot good call okay uh who'd you go with uh i went with an actor he's 13 right now um he hasn't been in a whole bunch of stuff he's got well take that back he's 13 he's got 27 credits on imdb so he's doing just fine uh but you've seen him in wandavision and then again in dr strange in the multiverse of madness Uh, he plays one of the twins he plays tommy maximoff Ah. uh his name is jet klein okay yeah I'm, so. That sounds great. Totally cool with that. Okay. I thought those kids did a fine job for for the yeah. role that they had to do. So, uh, okay, Scout. This is one of the harder ones I had finding a girl around the right age and stuff. So I ended up picking someone who kind of made the entertainment news recently uh, because she was awarded a Razzie, and everyone was oh, like, "Oh, I know." I was like, That's, "Everyone was like, yep. why?" Why would you do I that? I heard about that. Kid? Yeah, screw the Razzies for yeah. that. So I want to give her another chance in something like yeah. this. And I, I, you know, I don't necessarily blame a, a kid's acting for something where probably the writing had a lot to do with it. Rip, rip apart Firestarter, sure. Rip apart the movie. Yeah. Don't attack the actress. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so her name is Ryan Kiera Armstrong, and that's who I picked for my scout. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. That's the Firestarter. She yeah. was in Firestarter. I picked her for something else. I can't remember what it was recently. Also, it's Firestarter. That movie wasn't great to begin with. No, the the, the Drew Barrymore one wasn't a good no. movie. <laughs> and I don't think Drew Barrymore's acting was probably all that good. No. Either. 
So yeah, no, I think I think she is. I mean, coming across as a strong actress herself, mm-hmm. done some stuff in American Horror Story, and now you know also um, a lead role in Firestarter. So yeah, very cool. Okay, uh, I think it's a really good call. Uh, who did you pick? My actress. I think I nailed this one, and I hope you're gonna like it. Um, she's ten years old right now, and Scout, Scout, a little bit more tomboyish, mm-hmm. a little bit more strong personality as well with Scout. So I went with. Um, a little actress who could take over for Carrie Fisher. I went with little Leia Organa in Obi-Wan. Oh, I went with Vivian Lyra Blair. I like that call. I like that. Cool. Call. She, she plays a very strong headed character in, yes. in the Kenobi series. So, and I, I didn't love the series, mm-hmm. but I thought her acting was, was quite good for what she did. I think is more the, it's more the writing that I had problems sure. with on Obi-Wan and even some of the direction and editing and <laughs> stuff like that. But uh, her performance, I mean, you're, you're really on a tough bet for such a such an iconic female character right. as Princess Leia. Someone who was, right, as strong-headed, uh, and it kind of felt like, you know what, she could grow up into Carrie Fisher, and I think it, it felt it felt good. It felt real. I agree. So. I, I really think you nailed it on that one. Cool. I think that was cool. Uh, all right. Atticus. Oh, boy. <laughs> I... I thought for for a while I thought okay I need to cast Atticus first. I didn't. Uh, he was last. He was the last one because it yeah. took me forever to find uh, the right one. As I mentioned back in I think it was 2018, they started. Uh, uh, Aaron Sorkin did his revival. Here's some of the people who have played one currently. It is a guy named uh, Richard Thomas, who uh, you would actually know as John Boy from The Waltons. If you watch that, oh, um, okay. Uh, Reese Ilfens, Efans, um, he he was in like Notting Hill and a few ones. Greg Kinnear did it in 2020. Oh, I could see that. He's Greg a good Kinnear. actor. Um, yeah. Ed Harris did it, really? which really yes, Ed Harris, great actor. Way too old for that part. Way too old. Yes. For that part. Um, my favorite one is actually someone who is also too old for that part, but it's acting is what you can do. Uh, which was Jeff Daniels had played it. He oh. he originated that that run i think jeff daniels is a great choice for that i didn't go with him i didn't want to pick anyone who had already done it okay Uh, because my first thought was oh i'm gonna go to jeff daniels because they knew he played i was like no 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 no, let's not do it um so i did go with another actor who is uh, probably about the same age as jeff daniels we'll have to kind of age him down a little bit at least try to with me although gregory peck definitely had the look of someone who had children later in life to yes, me. I got. I had that feel too. So, uh, man, there were so many actors I could try to go to, and I initially wanted to go with an American actor, but in the end, I went with somebody who's not American, um, but who is a actor who I consider him a serious actor, even though the parts I know him mostly for are kind of fantastical, uh, sci-fi, mm-hmm. fantasy, and some other stuff that he's done. But I just think he's a really good actor, and I think given the choice, I think he would shine in this role. I went with Hugo Weaving. Uh, oh, interesting. Yeah, he's got I mean, the deep voice that Gregory Peck has. He's got the weight. Um, if we can get if we get the look right and get the yeah. accent right, I think he would do a good job. Interesting. Yeah, he's definitely older, but hopefully with some makeup, he's got the acting chops right. for sure. So uh, if you can, you know, and I wouldn't say he needs digital de-aging. He just probably needs some makeup, right. you know, maybe a wig for some of his, you know, 
he's losing a couple bits up top, but well, that's really not that big. That's of not deal. that big of a deal. That's not that big of a deal. He's a great actor. Yeah. He's a great actor, and I will not say no to that at all. Okay. All right. Who did you go with? So I I went with I had a couple different people in mind, but this is the first one, and so I thought of some others, and I was like, you know what? No, I'm just going to go with the guy who I first in mind. I get Gregory Peck vibes. I get like 60s and 50s mm-hmm. leading man vibes from this. If this guy was an actor at that time, I think he would have been thrown up there with like the Clark Gables, the Gregory Pecks, the Rock Hudsons. This guy has that feel. He's like, he's that version now for me. Mm-hmm. He's just, he's got a good presence and he's got, I think a good height to him. I think that that would match mm-hmm. how Gregory Peck and um, Bob Ewell, or, you know, how Atticus and Bob Ewell's right. kind of think fits. I went with John Hamm as my Atticus fit. Uh, that's a good call. That's a good yeah. call. I didn't. I, I didn't actually think about John Hamm, but I think that's a really, really good call. John Hamm is like right at that perfect age too. Yeah, uh, yeah, fits. So he's like late forties, maybe fifty, right, or something like that. But like, it's just yeah, later in life. But he could play for it. I, I kind of had a, like a forties feel sure. from yeah, yeah, Atticus, yeah. and I think that that yeah. fits. Oh, that's a great call. I think that's really, okay. really good. Uh, all right. Well, we we made it through. I think with I think with some decent choices, uh, yes, for, for a film that we both uh, adore and and probably consider did not does not need to be remade. But uh, it's always fun to to play these little my kind of mind games of yeah. how would you? Uh, all right. Well, that was our recasting of To Kill a Mockingbird. Please join us next time for a unique album review. John and I go over. The River Dance soundtrack. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time. I'm Adam. And I'm Corey. And we are the hosts of Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We are breaking down every single episode of Seinfeld as we watch it, reliving this amazing show. That's right. It's a trip down memory lane for all of us 90s kids out there. You can find Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Patreon. La la la.